I am the true vine. And uh, this is one of the I am statements in the Gospel of John. There are seven of them. We've looked at five of them. I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I am the door. I am the shepherd, the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Today, I am the vine. Next Sunday, on Easter Sunday, I am the resurrection and the life. And so, uh, again, uh, we, we've said this very often, but Jesus is such a, a master storyteller. He, he's able to use everyday common language. He, he uses very simple terms, items that were just commonplace, bread, light, door, shepherd, vine. He uses these everyday, again, common words and then fills them with deep spiritual meaning. These become figures of speech and symbols that are just beautiful. Again, deep, deep spiritual meaning. And that's what we're going to have and find out this morning. I'd like to encourage you to open your Bibles to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, page 901, and the Bible's around you. John chapter 15, uh, verses 1 through 15, uh, 17. It's, uh, it's quite a, a lengthy chapter this morning. And uh, um, by God's grace, I'm going to do my best to, uh, to work through this. And so here we are, God's reading this morning, John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the vin or wine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that withers, and the branches are gathered thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for the friends, his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, and so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command that these things I command you, so that you will love one another. God's reading for us this morning, I'd like to open with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, thank you again for your word. 
thank you, Heavenly Father, that, um, that you are good. And um, Lord, we pray now that uh, through the, the hearing of your word, uh, the teaching of your word, the preaching of your word, that we know you are present, that you will truly do your work. And as we often say, Lord, that you will give us ears to hear what you would want to say to your church. In your name we pray. Amen. This, uh, this morning's message here on um, this, uh, this thought of the vine and the branches, uh, I'd like to just share three thoughts with you, and uh, very simple, clear, the vine, the branches, and the fruit. And so we'll begin with the vine. And uh, we see here in, in verse uh, 1 and 5, the vine, the source of life. Jesus says, I am the true vine. Verse 5, I am the vine. This imagery of the vine, the Lord uses very often in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the vine referred to God's chosen people, the house of Israel. We read this in Psalm 80. We read, Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine, that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. It sent out its branches to the sea, and it shoots to the river. Jeremiah 2, verse 21. Yet I planted, the Lord says, yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. Now that's all positive and good so far, but there's more, and it's not encouraging. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 3 and 4 and following. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judea, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done for it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? Verse 7, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting, And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Old Testament Israel was God's vine, God's vineyard. He had had chosen it to be his people. He had redeemed them out of Israel. He planted them in the new land, in his land. And he abundantly blessed them over and over and over again. We can see that in the whole of the Old Testament. And yet, God expected a fruitful vineyard. And yet, his people were unfaithful, unfruitful. Instead of seeing grapes, good grapes, good fruit, he saw wild grapes, sour grapes. And now here in John 15, back to John 15, here stands Jesus before his disciples in the upper room the night before he was going to be betrayed, and he says, I am the true vine, the background, that term in the Old Testament. I am the true vine. What is Jesus saying? And I paraphrase, he's saying, I am the new Israel of God, the fulfillment, the new vine. God chose me, brought me out of Egypt. He planted me here, but I will be faithful to my calling. I will be faithful, fruitful, and obedient to my calling. Why? Because I am the true vine, the ideal 
the real deal. I am God's son. I am God himself. So this imagery of a vine is a symbol of life. It's a symbol of vitality. It's organic and living. Jesus is the vine. Again, just the term itself speaks of life and the giver of life. Now, I find that this message is very encouraging for us today. And it's a message that we can speak into our culture today. People have this fundamental need for significance. People have this fundamental need to, to, to find purpose and meaning in life. I re, I, I, really now, you know, what, what do we live for? Think about your coworkers and, 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 and neighbors and, and perhaps other family members that you have if, if there's no other God, if this is all there is, from birth to death, if this is it, this is it, what do you live for? What do you live for? And it's a great question. It's a great question to, to be asking our, our unbelieving co-workers, friends, and neighbors when the timing is right. What do we live for? Is it, is it selfies? Our own selfies? They're so popular, they're driving me crazy. But is it selfies? Do we live for that? Is it work? Is it pleasure? Is it eating out? Is it a cottage by the lake? Is it having the right house and the right zip code? I mean, what are we here for? What are we here for? So Christianity, I believe, gives just a great answer to this question. God is the creator, and he created us in his image. And we find our purpose, our fullness, when, when he is at our center. He created us for his glory. And when God is at the center of our lives, it seems like life and all the things of life fall in their proper place. We worship the creator, not the creation. And when we worship the creator, the rest of life falls into place. Only God can fill and, um, that, and reach down to that core of our being and there give us purpose, meaning, and life. That restlessness, as St. Augustus would say, you know, we're restless to our hearts, find the rest in God. There's something beautiful and powerful about that. And so if we can just point people, if we can just point people to this Jesus, I, I really do believe this is our greatest apologetic, even today. If we can just have people look at Jesus, Read about Jesus in the Bible. Read the gospel stories. I'm amazed in my, my lifetime as a pastor how many people I've met who have really turned away from Christianity but have never really, really read or heard the story about Jesus. The center of Christianity is Christ. We follow a person. We follow a person, and if we can have this wonderful opportunity to have people see who this Jesus is, to see what he said, to see how he acted, how did he treat people, it's a great apologetic. The source of life, Jesus himself. Christianity is not a religion. It's not about rules, about regulations. It's not about customs. It's not legalism. Christianity it's a union, a living union with the living God, Jesus Christ himself. 
And that really sets Christianity apart. We, we have a dynamic relationship with Jesus, the vine. The vine. Jesus Christ, the resurrection and life. We serve a risen Savior, one who was alive. We have a relationship with the true vine, the source of life. And it's to have his energy, his spirit, flow in and through us. Mercy me, if we just, if just more people, if just more people would see Jesus in the Bible, in the gospel, see Jesus in us, in our lives. Jesus, the vine, the source of life. Branches, a relationship of dependency. It's a relationship of dependency. We see that, verse 5, where Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. You are the branches. The branches represent those who believe in Christ Jesus. Those who have placed their trust in him for, for life. A Christian becomes engrafted into Christ Jesus. We become clean, verse 3, we have that phrase. We become clean, we're forgiven. Christ's life, his spirit now live in us and through us. We're alive in him, engrafted in him, the risen Jesus Christ. We live in him. Now, this imagery, interesting enough, speaks of grace and speaks of dependency. The gospel story is one of grace, isn't it? We, we just think how, how God saw us in our own sin and our own brokenness, and then he also saw that we were totally unable to redeem and rescue ourselves. We were condemned, we were we were, we were doomed, and yet the Bible is very clear. In love, God took the initiative to us. We did not choose him, he chose us. And, and it's interesting, he chose us, he engrafted us into himself. We love because he first loved us. So this, the idea that we're branches, grace. But also there's a, there's a relationship of dependency here. Verse 4, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. So our beginning, the beginning of our Christian life, our conversion story, our, our new birth story is by grace and grace alone. But the Bible would say from that moment on to the day that Christ comes or takes us home, that whole process is by grace and his grace, by being in the vine, his life in us, his life in us. The Bible calls this, and we call this, theologians, the, the, the process of sanctification, the spiritual process of growing up in Christ. From the moment that Christ touches our life and he becomes the center of our lives, from the moment he takes us home and comes again, we are to grow and mature in him and bear fruit for him. We're to become more and more Christ-like. Hey, just a just to change the metaphor a bit, we can think of the purchase of a dilapidated house. I've, I've used this illustration before. Someone buys a, a house and uh, walks through it, and he's bought it. Then he walks through it. Usually he's walked through it before he bought it, but for the illustration's sake. He walks through it, 
And then he realizes, oh, mercy me, there, there are some things here that maybe we need to throw out, maybe rehab. Some things are kept, but my, there's, there's a lot of work that has to take place to rehab this place. Well, in the Bible story, the Bible story, our triune God comes to us and makes a purchase. He he. He purchases us through the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we become his. We're his property. But that, that's only part of the story, half the story. We're forgiven at that moment when Christ becomes our center. But there's more to the story. There's more to the story. The renewal process then needs to take place. And so then the, the triune God, the spirits in our house, walking, living within us. And as we live and as we walk, the Holy Spirit walking through our lives, he, he, he says something like this. Maybe he convicts us and says, you know, that, that character flaw, anger, ah, that, that's got to go. That's got to go. Or, or he might say something like, you know, your mindset of always being so negative and sour and always being so critical, we, we need to renew that mindset. Renew it. Yes, the mind can be renewed wonderfully. The mind can be renewed, transformed. You know, he might say something, you know, your love for stuff, your love for things, for junk, we, we, we just need to transform that a bit. We, we use things, but we love people. We don't use people and love things. In Christ, with me, as your new master, we're going to change that thinking over time. That's what God is after. And so, back to the metaphor, the vine and the branches, when we think of agriculture here and horticulture here, it's really wonderful. The, the branch is dependent on the vine, not the other way around. Not the other way around. Our conditional growth and renewal and our transformation is totally dependent on him. Life, new life begins with him, but also growth also continues to be in him, with him, and for him. He is the source. He is the source, and we are to abide in him. Some translations of the Bible have remained there. And that word occurs over and over again, 10 to 11 times in our passage. You think think God is trying to tell us something here, and he is. The branch flourishes and blossoms only as it is connected to the vine. And what God is saying here, what the Lord is saying, God's people flourish only as they are connected to the vine, to Jesus. And I believe this is the main point that Jesus is trying to make here in this passage. He's trying to say that to his disciples, life and salvation is found in me. Not in the Old Testament sacrificial system, not in the Old Testament tabernacle, temple, not, 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 in, not there, not at all. Life is found in me, he's trying to say. I'm the true vine, the true vine. I am your future, I am your life, and it's in me, in me. How profound. And that's the message of, of this passage right here. 
But thirdly, we look at the fruit. The fruit, the expectant harvest. Verse 6, excuse me, 8 and 16, we have that little phrase, that you bear much fruit. That you bear much fruit. I mean, notice what Christ is after in this passage. He's after branches that bear fruit. He's after followers who say they're believers in him. They're after, he's after followers that actually bear fruit, fruit that will last. You know, God did not redeem the Christian to make us comfortable. I know Ryan and I, we say this often here when we think of Christianity in North America. It's a key in the piano we, we have to kind of hit from time to time. But God did not redeem Christians to make us comfortable, to, to live on easy street, to, to eat in new and fancy restaurants, to, to have more toys, or to live for vacations. Often we say this, it's like, you know, really, did, did, did Father God redeem us? The, his redemptive plans throughout all history is so that... I could just be very comfortable here in America at this time? No. We redeemed us for him, to bear fruit for him. Just a very interesting thought here. And he will prune us. Verse 2. It's a verse that we don't like to read. <laughs> but he will prune us, clip, lop, cut away, cut away, stuff from our lives that make us very unfruitful. Because what's his, what's his plan? What's his desire? That we be fruitful for him. For him. For him. And uh, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says this way, the Lord disciplines uh, those he loves. So God's after a harvest. And, and when he sees dead branches. When he sees dead wood, he throws them into the fire. Verse 6, a strong word there, but a reference to judgment. And I, I, I believe most Bible scholars, I'm with them on this, that the dead wood here are people who never sincerely believed in Christ in the first place. Now the question is, if we look at fruit, what does fruit mean in this passage? Said it very often. What does it really mean? Well, I believe it's a, a ref, a, 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 a refers here to character development and to Christian service and mission. To be in the vine, having the Spirit, God himself living within us, will produce outcomes and results. This passage is very closely related to, to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and faith control. Self-control. There, there's overlap, obviously, between the two passages, but I believe there's even more here in this passage in John. What are some of the fruit? Love. Love. Verses 7 through, interesting enough, 9 through 17, that word occurs eight times. Eight times. The Greek word here is agape. It's a love that's, that wants the best in someone else, that seeks the best in others. This love is founded in God himself, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. This love is sacrificial, verse 13. 
Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for its friends. Here, obviously, Jesus is making reference to his own death and sacrifice. This love marks the Christian community. Verse 17, these things I command you that you will love one another. Agape love is a verb. It's active. Love does. Love does. The vine's, the vine's life, the vine's life, flows in and through the branches, and growth is expected, isn't it? When a believer is engrafted into Christ, Christ-like love is expected. Now, just, just a side note here, something about spiritual formation. How, how do we measure spiritual formation? I recall, still as a, as a young child, when I lived back, growing up in the farmhouse, um, in, the, in one of the bedrooms on the closet door frame, uh, little marks when I was five years old and seven and nine, and little marks in the years next to it, measuring you know, growth, physical growth. But how do we measure spiritual growth in our lives? How do we do that? How do we do that? Is, I don't believe spiritual fruit, it's not about how many times you go to church. It's, it's not about how many Bible studies you belong to. It's not about how long you have your own devotions every day. No, not at all. Not at all. These are wrong measurements for spiritual growth. Are they important? Well, of course they're important. And please hear that from me and from Ryan. These are very, very important. But don't get me wrong, these are only means to an end. That's very, very important. Spiritual habits, a means to an end. What's the end game? What's the end game? Are we becoming more loving? Are we becoming more loving? Are we becoming more Christ-like over the time? Our hearts... Our hearts. The end game is a heart change. The end game is a heart more in tune with the living God, with Christ. That's the end game. Another fruit in this passage is obedience. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Notice the words love and obedience in this verse. They intermingle. It's it's very difficult even to separate the two words here. But here's the thought. When we love someone, when we love someone, obedience and servanthood is never a chore. Think that through. When we love someone, when we love someone, obedience, respect, servanthood just flow out of that love because we love that person. When we're in the vine, when we have tasted and when we have seen and tasted that the Lord is good, when we have tasted his unconditional love for us, we can only but, you know, rejoice. Gratitude becomes our middle name. Gratitude becomes our middle name and submission becomes our pleasure. We love this person and we want to serve him. Now God is trustworthy, so I trust him. Jesus is the true vine. 
I, I think here of, of, of a little child holding on to dad's hand, perhaps a very unfamiliar place. Uh, the child doesn't have a clue of where they are going. And at that moment, moment, reach up, hold, hold on to dad's hand. Holding on to dad's hand. Because I can trust him. I know he's trustworthy. And that thought is here. The true vine, Jesus, is trustworthy. And so, spiritually, I'll hold on to him and trust him. Even in dark places, even in unfamiliar places, even in hard places, I'll trust him because he's trustworthy. So I'll trust him. I'll trust him. I'll actively hold on. I'll actively hold on to his hand. His unconditional love for me moves me and compels me to trust and obey. I really do believe that this is our, our part here, right, in this passage, our responsibility to remain, to abide. We do have responsibilities. And I believe that's, that's in this, this example of a child and a father. The obedience is a joy obligation. Spiritually speaking, we hold on to the Father's hand because he is faithful. Faith, biblical faith is active faith. Faith works. Faith is obedient because we know who we're following, who Father God is. Another fruit of this passage is joy. Verse 11, joy. Love, obedience, joy. He says here, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Beautiful verse. This joy is is an emotion, an emotion of delight. It's not a 24 smiley face, 24-7 smiley face. Just much more inner contentment, grace. There's a peace. It's a satisfaction in and with life. That, that of, of being in the vine, knowing that I'm his child. We know our identity now is in Christ. We know as Christians we are in Christ. We're forgiven. We're, we're the forgiven ones, completely forgiven. We're, we're God's children. We're God's child, children. And we know nothing will ever separate us from the love of God. Ryan's favorite passage, Romans 8. And so, so we realize we're children, but even more than that, verse 14 and 15, we, we're called friends now. Interesting word, interesting thought. We receive the new status, a new status, a new relationship with the Lord. It speaks of communion. It speaks of closeness. Now, these children of the Lord, these, these friends of the Lord, we're, we're heaven-bound. It's beautiful. And so <laughs> there's a blessed assurance knowing that my destination is heaven bound, that I am God's child, that no one will ever pluck me out of my father's hand. I know my destination is secure. Knowing that, I can just be busy in God's work here. There's a sense of contentment. I don't have to go through life trying to prove myself. I don't need to continually take selfies of myself and plaster them all over the place. I'm content with who I am. There's contentment. I really find people with this inner joy, they're so blessed. These people, 
are spiritually rich. My definition of being a spiritually rich person, someone who has found their joy in the Lord, there's a certain even hop in their skip because they know who they belong to. It's their anchor. It's their, again, joy. Another fruit in this passage is prayer. Verse 7, we read, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Verse 16, again, one of these phrases, we read, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Now this is very important. Notice that our prayer life flows out of our union with the vine. Our prayer life flows out of our union with the vine. The idea that we have a free card a free card, a free hand to ask God to do for us what we think he should do for us is just nonsense. It's nonsense. There's no health and wealth gospel in these verses. And there have been some false teachers that have used these verses to claim that, the health and wealth gospel. No, that's not, that's not true at all. What is the end game here? What is the end game? The end game, the end game is that I will glorify the Lord. This asking, this asking in verse 7 and 16 has to do with our union with the Lord. And because now we're united to him in this renewed relationship, knowing everything he's done for us, we belong to him, we will pray prayers that honor him. We'll pray prayers that truly want to do his will for church and kingdom. I really believe that that John 15 needs to be read with Matthew 6. Abba, Father, the Lord's Prayer. May your name be revered. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this idea that we can just pray here and ask, we are allowed to ask. But again, it's prayers that truly honor him for his glory. Still another fruit is service and mission. This is found in the word disciple. Disciple. Verse 8, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. It's interesting that we're really here for God's glory, aren't we? We're here for his. That's the end game, his glory. But notice what we're called. Notice the words, my disciple, disciples. By nature, a disciple is a follower. Sometimes I I think we use the word Christian, and we we, we don't realize that a Christian is a disciple. But think of just the, 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 the word disciple. A disciple is someone who follows someone. It's just the nature of the word itself. We follow in Jesus' footsteps. We follow him. We carry out his mission. His agenda is our agenda. He's the teacher and we're the students. So again, think of this idea of the vine. The vine's energy and life and spirit 
flow in and through the branches. And so Christ's spirit, his heart, his life is ours. His will is our will. We're discipled to the master. His will becomes our will. We're planted in him and grafted into him. And so in this context, John 10, verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus' words, the Great Commission, it says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Interesting enough, the church is fruitful when we evangelize, when we do mission, when we go on mission trips near and far. The church is fruitful when we are salt and light to our neighbors, co-workers, to the nations around us. We, the church, we are God's vineyard, and Father God, the wine dresser, is looking for good grapes. Looking for good grapes. God's heart is to be ours. And so, uh, just something really practical here when we think of Good Friday coming here and Easter, you'll see around you on your chairs little packets. Join me at New City Church. It's a card packet, five little cards, business cards. We, we want to be faithful. We want to be fruitful. We're, we're in this together as a church And we want others to hear the good news of the gospel as well. And so I'd like to encourage you to invite someone this week, or more than one, to the Good Friday service, or next week to Easter service. Be an inviter. Be an inviter. Think about this. Be fruitful. Be fruitful. Remember, love does. Love does. Love your neighbor. Love does. Love does. Take risks. I encourage you to do that this week. In conclusion, we, we let's now ask ourselves, you know, what fruit are we producing for Christ? What fruit are we producing for Christ? What's, what's the yield? What's the harvest? Some of us have been followers of Jesus for some time. What does, what does Jesus see in us? What, what fruit hangs from the branches. What fruit hangs from the branches? If you would dare, and I'd like to encourage you to think this through, but if you would dare, take a risk and ask a friend, someone really true friend, and ask your friend this. Ask them, what do you see in me? What do you see in me? What godly fruit is visible? Is, is there a love in my life? Not just words, theory, but is there really a sacrificial love does in my life? Is there a joy in my life for the Lord? Is there a joy, an obedient joy? Do, do I serve the Lord willfully and obediently with joy? Do, do you see that I have a fervent prayer life? That I love to commune with my Father, my Lord Jesus Christ? Do you see in my heart that, that I have God's missionary heart for the lost? 
what, what, what would they say? Again, do it with someone you really trust. The good news of the gospel, and I really want to end with hope here, the good news of the gospel is that no matter where we have been, no matter where we are in Christ, today is a brand new day. Again, hope. Because I know all of us can look at yesterday, or maybe this past week, or maybe last year, or there's a part in our lives where, oh my goodness, you're embarrassed. <laughs> Can't redo yesterday. But in Christ, today is a brand new day. Amen? Got to believe that. I'm getting ahead of myself. The resurrection, he is risen, he's alive. Today, in Christ, is a brand new day. And with him being the vine and we're the branches, his life and spirit are in us and flow through us. Today is a brand new day. A brand new day. Hallelujah. And so, in Christ, faithfulness is possible. Fruitfulness is possible. No matter how old or young you may be, fruitfulness is still possible in the Lord. We flourish. Branches flourish as we remain in the vine. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Lord, you are, you are good. <laughs> Father God, uh, we're just amazed as we read your word how you could take something so common like the vine, the vineyard in Jesus' day, and how you can take that, that word, that item, and fill it with such spiritual depth. Dear Lord, you're the vine, we're the branches. Forgive us. <laughs> we're so forgetful. Forgive us when we, when we think we can just do it on our own. We're the branches connected to the vine. You're the teacher. We're the disciple. We follow you. And as we stay connected in you, we bear fruit. Oh, Lord God, that's our prayer individually here. Forgive us for the past, the times we were cold, the times we were indifferent, the times we were barren. But in you, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us. Give us hope. Today is a brand new day. You are the vine. And in you, we can bear fruit and make a difference. So, Lord, thank you again. Thank you for your grace. Thank you. Thank you for your patience with us. But thank you for your grace. You're looking for us to bear much fruit for you. And thank you, Lord, that we can as a church. We're to bear much fruit for you. And so individually, but collectively, as a church, Lord, may we bear fruit for you. Continue to stretch us, push us, to bear fruit for you, for your name, for your glory, for your honor. In your name we pray.